great to see so many things that are happening in the ministry of your church. And let me just take a moment to affirm, particularly the, the, the podcast ministry, uh, this is relevant for us and our family because uh, my father-in-law who lives in Geelong is not able to get to church anymore because uh, of sickness that he's facing. And uh, one of the young people in the church came around and helped him set up uh, the ability to listen to the message uh, of the church each week uh, when he can uh, through their computer and through podcast. And that's a real blessing and something that is very small to many of us who are tech-savvy um, is so meaningful uh, for my father-in-law and for mother-in-law. And so never underestimate the power. The proclamation of the gospel doesn't just take place in the building anymore. Things have changed. And uh, so it's great to see the proclamation of the word of God going beyond just the four walls of the church, but going out through uh, the internet and uh, being a blessing to many, many thousands of people. I'm sure you remember the last time I was here. I spoke out of Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith. And today I want to take uh, on a, a text with a bit more tension uh, around the, the challenge of our faith and our works. In fact, I don't think there is a tension. I think it's a natural partnership that takes place. One of those partnerships that we see every day. Whenever you think of Collingwood, you probably think of losing. <laughs> you think of uh, Melbourne freeways, you probably think of traffic. Um, well, this is a partnership more around proclamation and demonstration. Uh, the proclamation of God's word and also the demonstration of his love through the actions that you and I uh, go about each day. The debate in scripture that uh, is, creates tension is one where Paul spent a lot of time focusing about it's not by works that we can earn God's salvation. Uh, Paul's theme was very much about pre-salvation. Uh, here in the book of James, we're talking about post-salvation experience. Uh, to take a minute to affirm what Paul was saying to us. There is nothing that we can do by our own works, uh, through that imaginary ladder of somehow being good enough to earn and receive God's love. Paul was very clear about this. It's not about living a good life. And in fact, our uh, activities that somehow want to earn God's favour uh, are like a wasted gift uh, or something that is despised by God. In fact, we can come to him and receive a free gift of salvation. That was what Paul was speaking about. James here in chapter 2 talks about once you've encountered that great love, once you know what it is that God has done for you, uh, when you become one of his disciples and a follower of Christ, then something naturally is going to happen within your life. And one of the hallmarks of the New Testament church was their actions and their deeds. Because the things that we believe are so important. And if we believe that it's just faith uh, that takes us to heaven uh, without works, then we are only going to live in a particular fashion and a particular way. As we believe is what James is encouraging us to do, uh, to have faith and belief, to have faith and actions or faith and works, 
uh, the different terms that are used in Scripture, this will profoundly affect our behaviour. Our belief affects our behaviour. It's a story of a state trooper uh, in the USA and he is sitting on the side of the road uh, with his speed camera wanting to catch people speeding. I'm sure nobody in the room has encountered any of these situations. I'm sure you all sit under the speed limit. And he saw a car coming along really, really slowly. And uh, it was going at 22 miles an hour. And uh, he said, well, you know, as such as a, the same damage a speeding car can do, somebody travelling so slow could do that same trouble as well. So he pulled the driver over and wanted to just talk to them about why they were going so slow. And there were five elderly ladies in the car. And he said to the... Um, I haven't got to the punchline yet, but thank you. <laughs> I always appreciate it. In fact, I, I like it because my kids never laugh at my jokes either. So, um, and, uh, and so he says to the lady, why is it that you're only doing 22 miles an hour? She said, well, I was riding along the road and I saw the sign that said 22. And the policeman said, well, actually, that's Highway 22. And so you, that's not the speed limit. Uh, she had believed that that was the speed limit. And uh, he, as he said that, he looked around the car and the other four ladies in the car were white as ghosts and some just a little little shaky. And he said to, to the driver, why is everybody so nervous in the car? And uh, she says, oh, don't worry about them, officer. It's okay now. We've just come off Highway 150. <laughs> The things that we believe determine our behaviour, don't they? They profoundly affect how we live our lives. And here in the book of James chapter 2, James is very clear. And if you even go back uh, just one page into James chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, verse 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Fast forward 2,000 years and it's amazing how relevant scripture was then and it still is to us today. We might have different things to grapple with. We might have different challenges that we face But there are themes in Scripture that are so real for us and the messages are so clear for us uh, to be aware of the needs that are going on around us. If you are in business today or have been in business, one of the big themes in business of recent years uh, to develop strategic, strategic plans is what is it that you want to be famous for? Ever heard that statement? What is it you want to be famous for? Uh, these are the questions that come around and that then allows businesses to really refine the things that they are doing. And certainly for us in our uh, organisation, these are the kinds of things uh, that we've been questioned about by our borders. What is it that we want to be known for? For our organisation, it's reducing homelessness in Australia and building communities. These are the things that we want to do. In fact, we've got a, a big audacious goal of reducing homelessness in Australia by 50% in the next 10 years. It's a good goal. But what is it that we want to be famous for? 
Well, for the Christian church, the early church, the context that James is speaking to us about, they were famous for demonstrating God's love. In your own time, you can go over to Acts chapter 6, where uh, the New Testament church, one of the first programs that they had uh, implemented, Acts chapter 6, very early in the, in the New Testament church, is that they had developed a food program, a meals program, uh, for those that were hungry, for the orphans and for the widows. And in Acts chapter 6, we see that it needed seven leaders to be appointed to look after this particular ministry. So, I mean, even though they were appointing men, I still assume it was a reasonably large ministry. (laughs) There would have been a catering manager for this food program, a CFO, a COO, health and safety, quality control. Um, I'm sure, and these were the times before food handling certificates were required. But this was a significant ministry of the early church. And whenever Paul would go on his... Uh, visits and his ministry uh, missionary journeys and you would hear Paul ask for funds for the church in Jerusalem. It wasn't to build palaces and cathedrals. It was so that the early church could continue their generous ministry towards the poor. This ministry continued uh, right through the ages and in fact there was quite um, an uproar uh, in that Uh, culture because the church was growing at such a rapid rate through the good works that were taking place. There were uh, local leaders that were getting so concerned because people were becoming followers of Christ, becoming disciples because of what they could see in the practical demonstration of God's love. Uh, In the fourth century, Emperor Julian became uh, so afraid of the church's influence that it was growing in such a way uh, that he wrote to his pagan uh, priests. Uh, this is in the in uh, in Galatia, and he wrote to them, and he made a large financial don- donation to kick off their welfare program. And in his letter, it said, "We need to beat the Christians at their own game." He says, "It is uh, disgraceful." that no Jew ever has to beg and the Galileans support not only their own poor but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. This is what the pagans were saying about the work of the church. Hey, they're showing us up and we're supposed to be doing this stuff. I wonder why, uh, maybe that's why in Galatians 6 verse 9 because this is where that ministry was taking place. Uh, where Paul says, let us not get tired of doing good, for at the right time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Verse 10 goes on to say, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. And these are consistent messages that we've seen right through Scripture. Right back in Leviticus, I love some of these passages of Scripture that we don't read often enough. Uh, this is Leviticus 23, 22, and I admit I am cherry-picking a few things here, but just to show you that these are consistent themes right through Scripture. This didn't start in James chapter 2 uh, to encourage us and challenge us to care for the poor and needy. 
In verse 22 of Leviticus 23, the Bible says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. What's that saying? It's saying leave a little bit of margin. Leave a little bit for others to come and harvest. You don't have to harvest it all for them. Uh, There's principles of work that everybody should work. Uh, But leave a little bit for others to come and and help. In uh, the previous chapter in Leviticus 19 verse 10, um, the Bible says, don't go through your fields of fruit a second time. So the fruit that drops to the ground, leave that for the widows and the orphans and the aliens. So these things that we're told in the New Testament have always been seen through the lens of the, of the Old Testament and the scriptures that are there for us. Uh, over into Isaiah. Are you still with me this morning? Yeah. Great. Isaiah chapter six, uh, 58. Sorry, I almost thought you were going to read my scripture this morning. Isaiah 58. Have a listen to the challenge, but then also the promises that God talks about uh, from the blessing that we will receive when we are mindful of the needs of the poor. Isaiah 58 uh, verse 6. Is this not the kind of fasting that I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do awake with, away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. What a great promise. You're going to be a well-watered garden, lush, full and green and in, in, uh, in flourishing. These are the principles that we find right throughout Scripture. And this scared the government of the day because they were concerned that the Christians were going to become the force to be reckoned with because they were growing at such a rate by their proclamation of the good news, that partnership and the deeds that were taking place through their ministry that were an obvious expression of God's love. See, at that time... Uh, what and and just for his history's sake, the um, welfare program that was tried to be set up through these uh, pagan temples actually failed. It didn't work uh, because there was no doctrine of grace. There was no doctrine of grace that was found in the Christians in the Christian church. 
that was too hard for uh, pagan leaders to understand a doctrine of grace uh, in their own uh, understanding. Rodney Stark, who writes about the rise of Christianity during this season, and I think this is going to come up on the screen. He wrote a book about why the influence of the church was so significant in that time. He said, I find it necessary to confront what appears to be, I'm just checking that it's the right right, uh, uh, quote, appears to me to be the ultimate factor in the rise of Christianity. The simple phrase, for God so loved the world would have puzzled an educated pagan and the notion that God's care, God's care, how we treat one another would have been considered absurd. This was the moral climate in which Christianity taught that mercy is one of the primary virtues that a merciful God requires humans to be merciful. This was revolutionary stuff and so hard for some to get their minds around. And this is the message that we've had, this partnership of faith and works, of proclamation and demonstration, and that partnership is still for us today, that we proclaim God's love, but we also demonstrate that love practically around us. We've seen it through the years as well. William Wilberforce, one of the champions uh, of uh, bringing freedom to those that were in captivity, he had a phrase that he would use to make goodness fashionable. To make goodness fashionable. One writer said that this was a time of open debauchery in every sphere of culture. And we think today that making goodness fashionable is for a different era, to care for the needs of the poor and needy. It's for another era. In fact, these are things that we need to be doing today, that we in our own lives, tomorrow when we're at work, when we're sitting in traffic, when we're in the supermarket, that we would make goodness fashionable. To fast forward into New Testament language that we would be about today, that we would allow the fruit of the Spirit to be apparent in our lives. Love and joy and peace. To allow these things to be the signs that others would see. Because today, fast forward from what we've read in the Old Testament, in the New Testament and heard throughout history, today the custodians of the church are you and I the ones that are responsible for these good works, this partnership that we're talking about, is done through the people who follow him. And there's three things that I'd like to challenge us about in the last few minutes for us as we consider the needs of others and how we would respond. The first one would that we would be curious and compassionate. That we would be people who are curious and compassionate rather than as you walk through the streets and you see somebody who is a rough sleeper rather than try to walk around them ask yourself the question what happened in that situation what what, what's happening in that story and how is it that we can respond to become aware of the needs that are around us and allow God's heart to move our own hearts 
that we would understand not just the needs of the local community, but as we've heard about this morning in your own missions program, something that you should be very proud of in the right way, that you are aware of the things that are going on globally as well and seeing proclamation and needs met beyond your own local community. But there are issues closer to home that we need to be curious about. Um, You will hear in the media over recent times around power bill shock, around your electricity bill going up, and I'm sure you feel it, uh, but everybody is feeling that power bill shock. Um, We have our own tenants in our low-cost housing and uh, supported tenancy arrangements, and as they're meeting with our staff, they're talking about not turning the heater on because it's going to cost so much. Uh, and that tension between either paying for heating or paying for food that week, these are real issues that people are facing. And you would have smiled to yourself even when the head of Coles over the last few days, even in spite of their $900 million of profit for the last year, you would have heard them even say that people are buying less fresh fruit and vegetables. Anybody see that report? Smile to yourself when the head of Coles uh, brings these things up and pray for him because $900 million is just not enough. However, my apologies, but sitting below the surface, there are real issues in communities across our nation. Uh, We work in communities, particularly one in Hobart and one in Cairns, where there is no fresh food in the local community within a five-kilometre radius. No fresh fruit or vegetables for sale. It's hard to believe, isn't it? In a lucky country, in a developed country that everybody wants to come and live in. But there is no fresh fruit and vegetables available. Therefore, those without transport, without cars... And this is two-thirds of the community do not have transport. Uh, They're not able to get to their local Coles or their local Woolworths to go and buy fresh fruit and vegetables. Therefore, you can imagine the diet that they tend to get stuck on when they go and buy from the local uh, shop, whatever is available, generally processed foods, and you've got hundreds and thousands of uh, families living on that, that type of food that's all packaged rather than fresh fruit and vegetables. Um, Of course, thankfully, the kids have gone out because there might be some kids saying, that's great, that means they don't have to eat Brussels sprouts. (laughs) But these are true issues. Um, Other issues that we know happen in these communities is that you have loan sharks and pawnbroker-type ministries. (laughs) Businesses go into these communities and offer people Uh, new fridges and new white goods uh, that it's only going to cost you $20 a week for the rest of your life. And so we have people that we're working with and they're still paying for fridges that stopped working years ago. And uh, these are the kinds of situations that we need to see turn around in even our own nation and our own communities. And we can't fix every problem. But we can start with one. And we can start by being curious and compassionate in the situations that we're a part of. The second area is that we truly need to reflect on our own lifestyle and our own values because we hit the jackpot for living in Australia. 
We are in the top 20% of uh, earning income capacity within the world. Uh, if you live in a home and it has a working toilet and you have a bed, you're in the top 20% in the world. Uh, that is something for us to be so grateful for. But yet let, let us not just thank God for that blessing. Let it impact our works and our deeds and affect how we choose to spend our lives for the things that we will um, be passionate about, how we will spend our time and our effort and our finance because these things actually reflect the priorities that we have in our own lives. The third thing, and this is something all of us can do, is that we all can do something. We all can do something in taking action. Um, My mum, is anybody in your family, and if they're here in the service, don't point them out, but is there anybody in your family that when every couple of months they say something and you get really worried, they make a statement or they say something they're going to do and you go... Oh, Lord, have mercy. Well, in my family, don't, don't tell her, but my mother, Mum, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm sorry. My mother is the one that concerns us. My mother is an adventurer. Uh, my parents spent 12 years in Papua New Guinea as missionaries. Uh, I was born there, and so we've got a great affinity there. Um, and my parents have always modelled Christian service to us, particularly my mother, Um, She used to work, but she used to actually find her full life when she was serving in some capacity. And so she's been always involved in various ministries. She's got a little older now. and In the age of 72, uh, my parents had retired. And um, my mum was sitting at the back of church one day and she heard somebody come and talk about what it meant to be a missionary and going and doing something. And... uh, she, at the end, she responded for prayer and she said, God, it's a little bit crazy. I'm 72. Uh, my health is not that great. Uh, but if you ever could make a way possible for me to do something, uh, I just want to say I'm willing and I'm available to do something. And uh, of course, the rest of her family, all of us hoped that was it, that that was one of the prayers God didn't answer. You know, and that she just settled down and did what, you know, 72 year olds are supposed to do. Uh, but out of that prayer and situation, over the next few months, there was an opportunity emerge. Uh, she's a trained uh, nurse and sister, so she has had qualifications in the past. And uh, she was able to go and do a three month stint uh, in an AIDS hospice in Wye River in South Africa. And uh, in fact, at 72 years of age, she was able to do everything but operate in uh, South Africa. She wouldn't be allowed to do anything here in Australia. Um, they wouldn't let her touch anything. Um, and so, but yet over there, which she did have uh, those skills, so don't worry for those that are concerned about risk and compliance, uh, the, the uh, service that she offered uh, was one that was literally helping save people's lives. Uh, in a country where infections are killing thousands and thousands of people, where simply not being able to go back to a medical clinic to have your um, bandages changed could be the difference between life and death. And so she was able to go there. In fact, she went there three times to do three three-month um, 
visits uh, to support the teams that were there over three years. And we thought that was the end. We said, thank God, thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. And we thought that was the end. When she turned 79, she heard that there were people that were moving to Australia uh, that did not speak English. And so at 79, she enrolled herself in a teaching English language course. And uh, over the last four years, she has at some times done up to 10 classes every week uh, where she has taught people English, not just individuals, but groups of 10 and 15. And uh, she has only recently uh, finished teaching English to dozens of people uh, at a time. And now as she turns 84, we're just waiting for the next thing that God will open up for her. And as Lee said earlier, not all of us are able to go, but all of us are able to take a small step. I'm sure some of us have heard of the novelist, the Australian novelist, Tim Winton. He's the author of uh, many best-selling books across Australia, and uh, he lives in WA. He grew up in WA. His father used to, was a policeman, and uh, his father had an accident where uh, he was hit on his uh, police bike by a drunk driver and he was in a coma in a very bad way and went home and had significant uh, injuries and uh, and some paralysis and uh, that really had a big impact on Tim Winton's family. He was a young boy of only five or six at that age and one day somebody came and knocked on the door. This is in the 1960s in Australia and somebody came and knocked on the door from the local church. And he had heard about Tim Winton's father. His name was Len Thomas. And he came and knocked on the door and said to uh, Tim Winton's mother, Is there any- I heard that your husband has had a bad accident. Is there anything that I can help you with? I'm just a Christian from the local church. Is there anything that I could help you uh, do and help you look after your husband? And uh, over the next year, many years... Every Saturday, Len Thomas would come to that home and he would help carry and bathe uh, Tim Winton's father uh, through that time of quite uh, significant turmoil and sickness. Uh, the mother was not able to you know, carry him and put him in the bath. And so what a great uh, service that took place, a demonstration of faith and works together. Tim Winton went on to say that from that single act that had such a powerful effect on our family, it really touched us and uh, it was the reason that this sacrificial act caused our entire family to commit ourselves to follow the Christian faith. They saw that Len Thomas's uh, faith was real and lived out practically as a demonstration to others. In fact, as I spoke to our kids around the dinner table the other night about this, they said it was great that lend a hand, um, that Len was able to lend a hand uh, to this family. That's another dad joke. <laughs> so as we start to bring our message to a close today on your Missions Day, Mission Sunday, you know, it's important for us to respond not just in a way of more worship, God loves our worship. But as we've heard through the book of James and right through scripture, God is looking not just for a practical demonstration, uh, uh, for us 
to have a theological demonstration, but a practical demonstration, this partnership between our faith and our works, that we can practically live out all of those things that we believe, those things that we sing about, those things that we know to be true from a loving God. That we could make justice and love and mercy our priorities, that somehow we would take a small step to be part of the solution of bringing God's kingdom into our local communities and further abroad. That partnership between faith and works and partnering with God that is part of the proclamation of a loving God to a world that is in desperate need through the demonstrations that come from people who are followers of Christ living every day with his love overflowing in our lives as our motivation. Why don't you let me pray as we finish our time together today. Father, we thank you for the ministry of this church. Thank you for the many things that we've heard today, the things that we can celebrate and be thankful for that we're seeing the ministry of this church go beyond our local community. We are thankful for that. We also pray for the partnership that we have of demonstrating our faith. We know the proclamation of your word is so powerful, but let that proclamation be demonstrated through our own lives. I pray for anybody that would maybe have grown weary in doing good, as we heard in Galatians, that you would restore them and energize them. I pray for people that are looking for an opportunity, that you would make a way possible for each of us to take a small step in the things that you would want to see happen through our lives and through this community. And we pray these things for your glory and for your honour in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody.